Hey, this is Devin Michael with the Higher Quality Podcast. Super excited to be interviewing you. So could you introduce yourself, your role in the company that you work at? Hi, I'm Shannon Zangler. I'm the Director of Human Resources for Vallejo Financial Advisors. We are one of the largest financial planning firms in Indianapolis and service clients in 48 states today. What is top of mind for you as a talent leader at your organization? Some of the shifts within the financial services industry, the average advisor age is currently 56 across the country, which means significant percentages of experienced advisors are going to be retiring and the industry needs to shift pretty dramatically in some areas in order to attract diverse talent to help fill those gaps in the future. What is something you wish you knew about leading talent that you didn't know when you first started? It was really challenging for me early in my career as a leader to recognize the power and the positivity that can come from attrition or turnover in some cases. You can really interpret someone coming to you and saying that they have just identified a new passion or calling outside of your company or outside of your industry as a sign that you failed as a talent leader. You didn't coach them on the right path. But in reality, it actually is a sign of success because it means that you created a safe space where they could do that reflection and come to you and have that conversation and work with you to unlock those skills so that they can be successful in the next part of their journey. What's something unique about you as a talent leader at your organization that makes you a perfect fit for that job? Understanding people's communication styles and interpersonal dynamics and so much of finance and even other corporate environments that I've been in throughout my career really are about the relationships between people. How do you receive a message? How do you make sure that you build a rapport with someone so that you can achieve your goals? We made it to the last question, and this one's a fun one. What is the worst question you've ever been asked in an interview? I was actually on a panel a couple years ago at IU. All the panelists were asked, what's your favorite interview question to ask, to ask in an interview? And one of the gentlemen said, my favorite question that I always ask is, what is your spirit animal? And inherently within the phrase, there's some concern. But just the idea of asking students or anyone in an interview something so subjective, I just don't think is a really effective way to identify skill or culture fit or behavior. And I always think about it years later. What's up, everyone? I'm Devin Michael, host of the Higher Quality Podcast and co-founder and COO of Qualify. I'm joined today by Shannon Zangler, who you just heard on a qualified pre-interview with me, but now she's here joining me for a higher quality conversation. Shannon, so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, so happy to be here. Absolutely. So Shannon, you're the director of HR for Vallejo mm -hmm. Financial Advisors, and I'm familiar with Vallejo yeah. because I live in Indianapolis and they're a Indianapolis, well, Carmel-based company, but <laughs> Close to Indianapolis, you know, it's about 20 minutes, if that. Yeah. And so I always do this. I do this every podcast. I'm like, I'm not going to tell the full story of your life, right? And the, the title right. that you wear, I bet, doesn't do the full justice of who you are within the, the company Vallejo. So one thing I think people will notice is typically I have recruiting leaders on here, for example. But you're mm -hmm. the director of HR. Mm -hmm. So what does that yeah. mean for you, I'm guessing I have some answers in my head, but I'm just going to let you do it. What does that mean for you? Yeah. So I think first to give some background on Vallejo. So we are the second largest uh, financial planning firm in Indiana. We're second behind Charles Schwab only. 
And we're one of the top firms in the Midwest in terms of size. We have 170 employees, roughly, the majority of which are based here in the Indianapolis area. And we manage approximately over $7 billion in assets today in terms of the clients across the country. Thanks. So we are truly a firm that is focused on the development of the next generation of financial advisors and moving the industry forward. So the majority of our employees are financial advisors, which means that on the staff side, we run really lean. So unlike a lot of organizations that might have a dedicated like talent acquisition team, which is separate from HR, I wear all the hats <laughs> and drive all of those things forward. So Absolutely. talent acquisition and succession planning and, and development of career progression is all under my uh, purview today. See, this is why, that's why I asked the question <laughs> because <laughs> I think, you know, I'm going to have talent leaders from who knows where on here. And, you know, I've had talent leaders from Ascension. I've had talent leaders from biggest healthcare organizations in the country, right? Or other companies. But I've, you're the first multiple hat wearer that I've had on the podcast. So I'm excited to chat through this. Because I talk to a lot of people that do this, like that wear many, many hats. It's like, it must be just the the world of HR slash recruiting. It's just, that's what comes with the nature. Tell me what's your... Here's what, here's the challenge is I've always been told that there's the dark side and light side of, uh, which is dark side HR, light side recruiting. So what's your take on that? (laughs) (laughs) What is your take on that? So I will say I have a slightly different take, although I can understand where that point of view comes from. I do think that there has been traditionally, especially in maybe larger more siloed organizations, an idea that HR is meant to be kind of the reactive side of the house. It's policy enforcement. It's, you know, employee relations. It's when someone's in the door and you're just trying to like keep things copacetic. Mm -hmm. Whereas recruiting is the more exciting kind of proactive going out, finding the people, bringing them in, infusing culture with a new injection of talent. I actually think that's really kind of an outdated perspective especially the industry in general for human resources is transitioning more towards strategic partnership. Right. And the way that you do strategic partnership is that you touch all of those areas and you craft an employee journey from day one all the way through hopefully retirement. If you build a, a succession planning and a career map that makes sense, where all of those connect. And so those groups should be intertwined in my opinion. Yeah. But I can understand why some people might really want to stay in two very separate sides of the sandbox. Yeah, I mean it's tough because it's just talking with you know talent leaders. I I see both. Mm-hmm. Talking with a big healthcare firm, I'm gonna do the big healthcare firm. Um, <laughs> they are going through that right now, right? They're they're yeah. looking at taking everything that was separate and bringing it together. And I think it comes mm-hmm. with this fair share of mess, right? Like if you look at like you said, a big organization moves slow by nature, and you have HR who hasn't been in that world for the last 10 years let's say and now all of a sudden they're in charge of it seems like a little weird for me but then on the flip side i think it is weird too if they just like never speak to each other (laughs) so how do you do that well i guess like what, what are the ways that you do this at your scale that makes sense for your team yeah so i think the way that i structure it in my head is that the employee is the center like i am a people advocate and so my job is to make sure that when they first learn about Vallejo and they're going through that hiring process, that we're setting clear expectations 
and creating an experience that we're actually going to be able to deliver when they come on board as an employee. And then once they're an employee, it's my job to make sure that we still meet all of our commitments that we made during that hiring process and continue to provide opportunity and continue to provide development so that they continue to advance and continue to want to stay. Retention is the same thing as new business acquisition. Like to, to drive goals, you need to bring people in the door and you need to want them to stay. And so yeah. that's the approach that I take to human resources is thinking about any policy change that we do, whether it's compensation or a benefit strategy or anything, not only how is it going to impact our current employee base, but how is it going to make me a more strategic recruiter on that front end to continue to infuse the talent that we need to grow and scale? Yeah. So I always parallel sales and uh, recruiting. I do that yeah. often, but I actually do it more for like the idea of cold outbound is just like sourcing and, yeah, you know, the sales process needs to be good, just like the candidate journey needs to be great. And so the one I've never done, though, but I love that you just did, which is retention, this idea of retention. So I'm the, I'm the revenue leader at Qualify, right? So anybody in startups knows like, New business is great, but like retention is the thing that takes good companies to great companies, right? And increasing yeah. that over time. Mm-hmm. And I've never mm-hmm. thought about the fact that what you just said, like the candidate staying, like which is kind of an HR's realm, is just if not more important yeah. than just acquiring the new the ten- new talent. So I now have another relationship yeah. there for sales, which is great. Thanks. Oh no, one hundred percent. They are they are all aligned. They are all strategically aligned in terms of revenue growth, in terms of how talent plays into that. The same approach that you do to sourcing customers and potential, you know, investors is the same thing that I do in terms of recruiting, leveraging LinkedIn, leveraging searches, right. leveraging networks to try and get in front of people. And you may have to drip on them for a few months at a time, especially depending upon the type of role that you're looking for. But the more that you build relationships the more that you drive revenue, especially in a model of Vallejo where we limit the number of clients that each of our advisors services. So the only way that we can grow and scale is if we continue to have a pipeline of new advisors. So every new advisor I bring in, that's 40 more clients that we can service as a firm. Like that's direct revenue growth. And so that's how I contribute to driving us forward. Gotcha. Yeah, I know every financial services company in your space is a little bit different, right? So like some have... W-2, some don't. Like, What's mm-hmm. the structure mm-hmm. of the employment for financial advisors with you all? Yeah, we're 100% W-2. Okay, gotcha. So, and then again, like sometimes they don't even recruit for these people. They just, I actually don't know how it works in that regard, but <laughs> is literally your whole rec load is always going to be financial advisors or is there kind of some one-off roles that pop up here and there? Yeah. Um, so it's not only financial advisors. That's certainly always a key part, but like right now we're hiring for like our investment research team some of our back office operations, an executive assistant from one of our advising teams. So we balance few. It's also intern recruiting season, which our intern program is a really large driver of our future advisor recruiting. Mm -hmm. We really lean on that early generation talent and leveraging that opportunity to experience our environment, experience how different our model is, and then hopefully convert them to full-time hires, which we've been very successful with historically. I think we have about 35 former interns on staff today as as full-time advisors. So that's a pretty significant percentage of our population. And that's how we go through organic growth. That's really different than the majority of the industry, which the majority of the industry, as I kind of alluded to in in that pre-conversation we had, is a lot of the other industries looking at a talent crisis and the fact that their talent is retiring or nearing retirement. Mm -hmm. And so they're having to 
either acquire someone new or bring someone in to sell that book of business to. And it's far more closer to like a merger and acquisition type of experience instead of actually focusing on developing from the bottom up. Got it. Okay. So you beat me to the punch. I was literally... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You're good. So okay, I do want to still ask. I'll, I'll double touch yeah. on that. So aging population, many of which are yeah. financial advisors, will be retiring in the next 10 years, let's say. Yeah. Maybe earlier. So what is your current game plan? Is it all internship? Is there more to it? What is the current game plan of talent, the talent acquisition side of like doing something about that? Yeah. So in some ways, Vallejo is a little insulated because our actual advisor age is 34 on average, as opposed to the industry average of 56. So in general, we're a much younger firm. Gotcha. Our CEO and co-founder just celebrated his 50th birthday. Like we're, you know, so we've got a little time before we're hit with the same kind of succession planning crisis that the majority of the industry is facing. But it is a significant thing that we all have to be cognizant of, mm-hmm. of the fact that, you know, people are going to age, people are going to want to move on to new things. And how do you continue to keep operations running? And so what you have to do, not only as a recruiting partner, but as a talent partner is making sure that you're creating career pathways and unlocking those opportunities for, again, that retention to drive. So that way, those advisors are grooming that next generation to take their place and be able to continue to to move forward because people are always going to need financial advice. So we have to be able to make that demand no matter what. Right. Absolutely. So let's take two steps back, maybe three. Yeah. You obviously didn't start your career as the director of HR for Vallejo. So I did not. (laughs) <laughs> and I, by looking at your LinkedIn, I think you started your career in a very interesting place compared to where you are right now. And maybe it wasn't the start yes. of your career, but what I see. So let's jump back to the beginning. Where did this all begin? Like maybe it's your first job out of college or if it wasn't college, your first job, period. Um, and then let's go from there. So I graduated college in, in 2007. So right on the eve of the Great Recession. So in general, opportunity was kind of a different mindset. But in college, I had studied more education and art history. I thought it was going to be like an art teacher. And then I quickly identified that like, to do that, you actually have to be good at art, which I was really good at appreciating art, but gotcha. like creating it is not my strong suit. <laughs> so that was going to be a hard thing to, to teach others. So my first job out of college was actually in the early childhood development as an assistant director of a preschool. Mm. And that taught me so much in terms of communication, so much in terms of patience and flexibility. But after a few years, I realized that I wanted to be around adults (laughs) on a more significant scale. (laughs) And that is when I uh, kind of jumped to more of the corporate Fortune 500 space where I started with Geico. I started in the call center and worked my way up the ranks into more training and recruiting. And um, overall was eight years. One of the highlights of my time is part of what brought me to Indianapolis because I used to live in Florida for quite a long time is Geico opened the regional profit center in 2013. That's here in in Indianapolis on the North side. Um, And I was part of that team that was moved out here to help quickly hire staff and train those individuals so that that office could get up and running. So that was you know, a challenge of like, let's try to get, you know, hundreds of people in the door in the next few months. And how are we going to accomplish that? Well, being very agile and wearing all the hats. Right. Yeah. At that point, were you a, by trade, were you a recruiter or no? 
at that time, I was primarily more on the training side. So training and developing and a coach. And so they tapped me to help in with some interviews. And that was really my taste. I mean, I'd done some recruiting before and in other areas, such as at the the preschool, but that was my first like high volume. We got to get people in the door as fast as possible Mm -hmm. experience. So you have never worn the title recruiter. As my sole title, no, I've never. You're right. However, you are recruiting actively and seemingly consistent for the last, like, past whatever years. How'd you learn? And what are some of the mistakes that you made early on that you don't do anymore uh, that you kind of have corrected? Yeah. So I think some of it in terms of how I learn is a lot of the principles in terms of recruiting are the same thing when you build relationships with customers, when you're conducting conversations or we're coaching peers or educating and transfer of knowledge. Like you have to understand people. You have to understand how to build rapport really quickly and how to ask questions that get to the root cause of something, whether it's a performance concern or like why they want this job and whether they have the skills for it. So there were lots of translatable skills that apply to recruiting. And I think I just always knew in the back of my mind that no matter what I did in terms of talent management, like recruiting was part of it. Like it's my job to recruit people to want to be on my team. It's my job to recruit people to want to be part of my company. I'm always a promoter. And so it's just naturally kind of translated in that way. So even though I never officially was solely a recruiter, I feel like it's always been part of my function. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of similar to what a lot of great companies are kind of putting this Mm -hmm. onus on like, we're all recruiters, almost that feeling of like, we all do this because hiring managers are part of the process. Like everyone's a part of the process in some sort of way. And so it's super important to have that kind of mentality of the person is the, like putting the the candidate at the center and like everything else kind of falls in around Mm -hmm. that. Right. So, or in your case, it's the candidate then becomes the employee at the center. Right. Yep. Absolutely. What was the jump like from, Going from Geico, which is huge, to going to Vallejo, which is not small, but not Geico big, you know? Yeah. What were some of the adjustments that you saw? Yeah. So the biggest thing was obviously the the difference of scale and, and scope. So, you know, Geico at the time when I was when I departed in 2018 was right at over, I think, 30,000 employees across the country. Now I'm moving to Vallejo, which I was, I think, employing 50. Or 51, right? So nice. so the difference was the fact that like everybody I was working with for the majority of the time, I could see in the hallways and I could build a, a personal connection with. But I was like the second non-advisor leader hired for Vallejo. So we had our, our COO who was wearing all of the hats, you know, on the operations side. And so he was able to take off anything that involved people and kind of hand it over mm-hmm. to me. And so I got to to jump right away in in recruiting and doing fun things like writing the employee handbook and creating a mm. compensation and benefit strategy and and all those things that you kind of need to actually do this. But as you know, in a startup environment, as you're experiencing some of it, you kind of go on the fly and just hope everything works out. <laughs> Absolutely, that sounds like something I would not want to do. <laughs> the, the employee handbook part specifically. Um, it's, it's tough. That's tough. Yeah. So what's the split like, right? So how much time yeah. do you spend recruiting? If that makes sense? I guess it's very straightforward. Yeah. Answer, our question. It's a, it's a great question. So there's some seasonality to it. So like right now it's fall semester. This is core college recruiting season. This is kind of our, like our season. 
So it's probably about 55% of my time okay. is spent either on college campuses or building relationships or helping, you know, my team conduct interviews and review. I mean, I do now have a little bit of a team, so it's not solely me, but help. <laughs> <laughs> I do have help. Um, so but there's a lot in terms of continuing to calibrate with them on ideal candidates, getting feedback helping with all those, you know, offer negotiation conversations and things of that nature. So this is, this is the busy season in the spring. It slows down a little bit. Summer is a little different as well, but so typically I would say it's probably on average, probably a 50, 50 split between the rest of HR and talent acquisition side. Gotcha. And then are, is your help like HR coordinators or is it recruiter? Like what are those, what are those folks? Yeah. Um, so I do have, um, I do have like a, an HR generalist underneath me that's, that's helping with some of the blocking and tackling, especially mm-hmm. on like the benefits and, and payroll side. Um, I have a training manager that helps with like the onboarding experience now. And then um, I do have kind of some business partners who do a lot of the performance management and coaching directly with the advice, the younger advisors. Gotcha. Nice. Okay. So you got good help. Good help. I was like, I man, you I have do. a lot yeah. on your yeah. plate. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, almost, I'm honestly just like jumping into curious mode. I'm like, how do you do it? Um, yeah, happy. You know, it's yeah. about being highly organized. <laughs> yeah, that's not a strong suit for me. Um, and I am a multiple hat wearer, but you should see my Notion or my Slack or my oh, desktop. Gosh. I'm not, however, a tabs person. I do not like having a bunch of tabs open. So. Oh, see, I love tabs. But how many unread emails do you have? That's the real test. So it depends on the email. <laughs> my <laughs> my like company email, I try to keep below like 40. I have 29. Okay. Right okay, that's pretty good. My other email, I have 9,999 unread <laughs> emails. And like legitimately <laughs> that number. I was like, how do I not have 10,000? Um, that's amazing. It just won't let you get there. Maybe just yeah, auto-delete so you I'm can just, right below. <laughs> you get to a certain point and I'm just like, there's no there's no need in me even putting effort here. I'm too far gone. So I, I just say like, this is my non-work half and this is you know, my yeah. work self is a little bit more organized than my non-work self. There you basically. go. So, yeah. yeah. So talk to me about this, this internship process, right? So yeah, you have what's arguably like the most important part of your pipeline for talent mm-hmm. coming through mm-hmm. internship. Uh, how do you make that special for them in the sense of the hiring experience? I could imagine many ways to make it special for the employee experience, but yeah. for the candidate piece, you're competing with, you know, when I come out of college, I might not be thinking about Vallejo. Like I might be thinking about Charles Schwab. I might be thinking all the names right. that, you know, I know off the top. So how do you stand yeah. out from the crowd? Uh, and I know that a lot of people are going to resonate with, you know, trying to figure that out. That's a great question. Cause it is, it is hard. It is hard to build name recognition when you're a, a smaller company and a smaller employer. But so some of it is starting even before the candidate experience. Like I spend a lot of time being really thoughtful about like the relationships in terms of professors and department chairs and career services in universities, like as much as as often as I can get in front of them or my team can get in front of them. For example, I was on Butler's campus yesterday doing a presentation on building a growth mindset. They asked, Mm. hey, would you talk to a bunch of students about how to set goals? Sure. We really didn't necessarily, it wasn't all finance majors. It may not have anything come from that in terms of a direct application, but if that student had a really great time and tells their peers like, hey, we heard this really cool company, then then it spreads. So right. some of it is just how can you strategically for something that does not require any money, that was just a volunteer effort of my time. 
So I was able to advance the ball without using funds because a lot of times you probably have a limited recruiting budget if you're in this kind of tier. Mm -hmm. The other thing we do is that when we do go for things that are more formal events like a career fair, I try to make sure that we're including alumni, especially individuals who maybe graduated from the last couple of years or former interns, because it's a very different experience when you're kind of walking the rows of tables and it's like, oh, that person kind of looks like me. So they automatically feel a little bit more approachable potentially. Mm -hmm. And they might ask them questions or, or just spend more time chatting with them because there's that recognition and comfort there. And yeah. that person as a former intern can talk directly about what the experience is. And we really stress with our intern recruiting that every intern has the opportunity automatically to interview for a full-time position during their summer with us. So they automatically know that that opportunity exists. It's automatically something that helps set us apart from maybe some other firms where it's really more about getting resume experience or more kind of having fun for the summer. Right. <laughs> right. Like this is actually a career opportunity. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That's legit. What are some of the things that you haven't been able to crack the code on? I know that this yeah. is like one of the things that can be hard. I'll, I'll preface with it can be hard to talk about openly, like things that you maybe just haven't figured out. But I think it's helpful for anyone that's listening. Yeah, no, 100%. I think the the area that that we haven't cracked the code on that I wish we were better at is how do we continue to increase the diversity of candidates that come through our pipeline? Mm-hmm. There are some societal and, and demographic pieces that that make it challenging. Certainly the fact that we're in Indiana based on census data, you know, yeah. the fact that finance as a major in a lot of business schools is declining in favor of some more broader business majors or, or digital technology. So just the number of students who naturally would look at us and go, oh, financial, well, I'm not a finance major and automatically opt themselves out mm. is is high. So it's requires us to be a lot more thoughtful and strategic in terms of like clubs and universities and, you know, other systems, but, and how do we get in front of individuals that otherwise wouldn't naturally be exposed to us? But this is not just a Vallejo issue. It's a, it's an industry issue. We do not, we're far from gender parity and some of those other things that we should be at. So it's yeah. just continuing to build the message, continuing to demonstrate the value of this career path and avoid some of the stigmas that exist about like Wall Street and some other things that that we don't have any control over. It's such a tough topic and also like, yeah. like tough to talk about and then tough to actually execute on and change because at the end of the day, like I understand and I'm, I, I said this before, I was literally just on a podcast talking about this too, which is I am a black founder in Indiana. And I was telling the, I think it was the IBJ podcast. And I was like, I pretty much know every black founder in Indiana <laughs> or in Indianapolis. You yeah. Know? I, yeah um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I get it. And I, I definitely see both sides. Like it's like on one hand, it's hard to find diverse mm -hmm. talent, like in this space, especially. And I know that, like I know mm -hmm. about finance and all this stuff. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, the other side is like, they're like, I can't find them. Like they might be looking right. for a job and they're like, I can't find them. So what are some suggestions that you would have? And I know that you, you admitted we haven't cracked the code, but what are some things that give you hope on, on like this strategy is kind of working? Like this is seeming to work yeah. a little bit for those who are trying to do this whole thing about trying to drive change. Yeah. So I think there's, there's two pieces. So one was 
we had to do a lot of soul searching about what realistically could be our reach because there's a world where an organization could knee-jerk react and then you could compound the problem by specifically hiring to check certain demographic boxes. Yep. And that's not effective in any way, shape, or form. It's a terrible strategy, but you could do it. But we do have the ability to increase awareness of our industry in general in groups that maybe would not have had naturally any exposure to it. Maybe they didn't have a family member in the industry or things of that nature. And we can also educate them about other companies like ours that may not have the same barriers to entry that other sectors in finance will have. Like we don't require that you cold call your network all day. We don't require that you already have access to wealth. Like we're going to teach you how to do all that by being a really good servicer and providing really great advice to clients and naturally your business will develop. But if you don't know that this type of model exists, then then how would you ever be able to find it and feel like you could have a place in it? So yeah. um, we've actually started to target kind of the high school level. So we've partnered with a couple schools. For example, we're part of, we're a corporate work study partner for Providence Christopher Ray High School, which primarily takes students, as you may be aware, who would not typically pursue a four year college degree after high school. And mm -hmm. so they get to work one day in our office. They get to get exposure not only to finding to the advisors, but all the different career paths. And so our hope is that if nothing else, even if we inspire them to obtain a four-year degree, whether it's in finance or not, at least they have a reference, a positive reference of what financial services can be. Right. And maybe they'll share that with their friends and family as they grow. And maybe we'll continue to build our, our knowledge in that way. But that's a long-term play. And it's going to take a while for actions like that, literacy training and other things that we do in the community to play out into tangible recruits. But we're committed to that because that feels like the most sustainable way that we can enact real change. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the 1% better every day mentality. I forget the number, but it's like if you get 1% better every day for a year, the compound on that is insane. Um, yeah. And so like I've taken that to heart myself, like. I think a lot of companies want to do the knee jerk thing where mm -hmm. they jump in and like, Hey, we're making a huge change. And like, for, I'll give you my personal example. I can only speak yeah. for my, my own stuff, but you know, when the George Floyd event happened, for example, sure. Every venture capital firm in America seemingly came out and was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. Right. And for a year, there were some things that happened and maybe there was a slight uptick, but like, data shows that it actually got worse after like a year or two. <laughs> and so yeah. those sorts of things, like you said, they don't do anything. So focusing on the thing that you can actually do and do consistently, I think is way more important and way better. So commend it basically. And I saw a Providence Cristo Ray school bus pulling up to our, we work in a, a co-work space. So I now Hi. know what that is, you know? Uh, so that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. No, it's a great program. We're huge supporters. Absolutely. Cool. Well, let's jump into the next segment of the show, which is the question of the week. And this is all about you getting involved, but also the audience getting involved. So those who are listening can actually answer this question as well. Sure. So if you're listening to this and you want to jump in, you could win a gift card if you give the best response uh, and voted by yours truly. But anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's worth at least trying, you know? Um, yeah. So Shannon, you're going to get the first pass. Everyone else, the link will okay. be in the description below, wherever you're listening to this, it'll be below more than likely. And so just click it super easy. You'll take an interview just like Shannon did in the beginning of the show. So Shannon, your question is, 
how do you see remote work and hybrid models impacting the future of recruiting? And what strategies are you employing to adapt to these changes? Yeah. So that's a, I mean, it's a great question. And how it impacts, I think, will depend a lot in terms of the industry and the specific job. Like, for example, on financial advisors, that space, those roles have pretty much been hybrid even before the pandemic, because you obviously would go to where your clients are, or some days would make more sense to to get on a Zoom call versus coming into the office. So there was always some implied level of flexibility. What we have observed or noticed is what you have to teach with that if you create flexibility is how you still communicate and build connection. And for models that require an intense amount of collaboration and partnership with your peers, there's just a formality that comes to like sending someone a Slack or a Teams message like, hey, are you busy? Can I talk to you? Versus just walking down a hallway and poking your head and being like, oh, you're in the you're in your office and I don't see you're on the phone or anything. So I'm just going to talk to you. So mm-hmm. I do understand why there is there is some some friction between some employers and their employees about that return to work and that desire for that, because there is some really cool things that can happen when you like overhear a conversation in a hallway. For sure. In terms of recruiting, I think the biggest thing is that recruiters, we all just have to be really honest about what our environment is and what our environment isn't. So if someone is looking for 100% remote, we have to be honest that that role can't sustain that. And vice versa, if someone really wants to be in person and we're a remote first company, that's that's just never going to make them satisfied. So we need to be honest about who we are today and who we likely would be two to three years down the road. Because again, we're trying to find long-term partners for our growth to be fair to all sides. Yes. Honesty. That's an answer I didn't expect for one. And then two, I think it's really simply great. Like essentially the reason I'm so kind of like happy about that answer is because I feel like the whole idea is to sell people on something like, like, yeah, yeah, we're not remote, but X, Y, Z and all this stuff. But like at the end of the day, if that's the question, then you have the answer and that's really all there is to it. Cause like there's always going to be a candidate out there somewhere, you know? And, and to, I, I think it's more important to be honest and authentic, like you said. And I think companies mm-hmm. should also like just stand on there, like what they believe. I, I personally like being in the office, for example. Our, yeah. our company is a remote company, but I wouldn't mind if we were in office all yeah. the time, but everyone else would. And so I'm just here by myself. <laughs> uh, you know, that's how it goes. So, um, but it's good that you create an environment that can support either option, right? right? And so, so some of it's that. But I think in general, transparency is probably the biggest opportunity that that the recruiting side of the house has, probably mm-hmm. because there is that that salesmanship aspect, especially for companies where the talent acquisition has goals based on time to fill or number of applicants or, or numbers of interviews that they're evaluated on that can sometimes be conflicting priorities and not due to ill intention, but just the reality of of trying to make your numbers and and trying to demonstrate your success in your role as it's been defined. But because I have to look at it again, as I'm bringing you in the door because I want you to stay here. I have to be honest with you. I have to tell you exactly who we are and who we're not. And I have to tell you upfront what our compensation is and how it's structured. Like I, really don't love the dance that I hear 
other people go through when they have interviews. Like, you know what your compensation is. We should just be transparent about how our models work and be fair to those candidates because that converts them to better advocates when they become employees because you were upfront and you told them the truth and now you're going to prove that it was true. I love that. Well, this has been great. I'm sure we could go forever, yeah. um, but <laughs> but I know you have work to do and I have some to do as well, but I think this is awesome and I think other people will think so as well. And so how would you prefer those that are listening that want to connect with you and want to continue to learn from you? How would you can, how would you want them to follow you for lack of a better term? Yeah. Um, so LinkedIn is probably the easiest and obviously connect with me on there happy to, if you're local, always grow coffee or, you know, things of that nature to, to share advice. I'm sure I can learn from all of your listeners too, from their sectors of the industry um, or those who are virtual, virtual coffee makes fun. It's fun too. Absolutely. There you go, folks. It's always LinkedIn. And, you know, I think that makes sense. I've had like one it's personal, digital business card these days. I've had one Twitter, <laughs> one Twitter, one Instagram. Oh yeah. I'm <laughs> Yeah, I'm an HR folks, so yeah. the rest of social media is not really my bag. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, cool. Well, if everyone listening, two things. Do the uh, question of the week. It's almost like free money if you if you give a good enough answer. Yeah. But more importantly, if you liked what you heard, make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Maybe it's on YouTube. Maybe you're on Spotify or Apple or on all of them. Like and subscribe. And even if you want to give us a review, that'd be awesome. But just keep in touch with this podcast because we're going to continue putting out great content like this one. So Shannon, thank you so much for being here, uh, for taking time to chat with me. It's been awesome. I've learned a ton in this short amount of time. And I will leave you to your many hats and hope that you have a good rest (laughs) of your week. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. See ya.